going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Goat Show. Goat and Ryan back here today to talk to you guys about our kind of predictions and expectations for the 2020 NFL Awards. Uh, first things first, Ryan had a bit of a word he wanted to share with you guys. Ryan, why don't you go ahead? What's up, everybody? I'm uh, glad to announce that I created a film account where I talk about movies, television shows, and video games. It's called Greatness Debates Films. So um, if you're interested, check that out. The link is in my bio. And, you know, simple enough, the Greatness Debates film. So if you're interested in that stuff, just uh, check me out. Sounds good. Uh, before we get going into the awards, big news in the NFL. Little late on this, but it's still worth talking about, is the Matthew Stafford trade sent to the L.A. Rams in exchange for Jared Goff. Two future, two future first, and a third. Um, so first things first, who do you think won this trade? From from the way I see it, it's hard to necessarily say at this moment. But um, if I would lean one side, it would probably be the Lions because they got a lot of assets for you know the greatest quarterback in their history. And received a potential bridge QB, and who knows if Goff ever could develop. Maybe he could be their future guy. Who knows? Goff's still young, but they did get a lot of assets, and the Rams have furthered their sort of Super Bowl or bust mentality, which I respect. But it's certainly risky when you're giving consistently giving up first round picks. Yeah, for sure. And one thing that I that definitely stands out about this is a lot of the analytics point to homegrown talent winning championships mm-hmm. compared to, you know, like big free agency acquisitions, uh, big trades, stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I do have a lot of respect for the Rams uh, being this aggressive, but we'll have to see how it pays out. Uh, personally, I think the biggest winners here are Stafford himself. Um, because he goes to just a better team, better environment, better situation. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the Lions, obviously, like you said, got a ton of capital back. Uh, I think Jared Goff is a solid starter. We'll have to see what he looks like without McVay. But I think, you know, if they're stuck playing him for one or two years, they could do a, a lot worse. For sure. Um and yeah, like like we said, they still have top ten pick this year. They could easily spend that on a quarterback, let him develop for a year or two. So altogether, I think this works out. Um, my real question for this is obviously the Rams gave up a lot. Obviously, Stafford is better than Goth. I don't think that's much of a debate. Although I'm <laughs> sure some people will try to argue that. Um, but is he two first round picks better? Um, see, it's, it's, it is sort of tricky, but, um, you know, if the Rams really think they needed an upgrade at quarterback to get back to the Super Bowl, and you have someone like Matthew Stafford, who's obviously very distinguished out there, it's hard not to pull the trigger, but two first round picks is a lot. But like I said, the Rams don't, I obviously don't seem to value first round picks that much and there is 
a lot of, you know, that is an interesting philosophy because when you think about it, you know, there's a lot of first round picks who don't end up living up to lofty expectations that are put upon them. So, you know, if you can give those up for an established talent like Matthew Stafford, you know, why shouldn't you when thinking about it? Yeah, for sure. It obviously only time will tell. Um, maybe Stafford will fall flat on his face and Goff will turn into an MVP candidate in Detroit. Not saying it's likely, but anything's <laughs> possible, right? So we'll have to see how it plays out. I think it should be really interesting. Uh, one last note on this. What do you think this means if Deshaun Watson ends up getting moved? How does this impact that? I mean, I think Deshaun Watson and how um, GMs evaluate him, I don't think that necessarily changes. And I still think you're going to have to give up a King's ransom to get him, no matter what Stafford was traded for. Yeah, for sure. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, Obviously, no word for sure if he will get moved. The Texans are pretty adamant about holding on to him. But obviously, if he's not going to play, he's not going to play. And there's been a lot. Sorry to go ahead. But there's been a lot of organizations that said that they would retain a player before I end up eventually trading him. Sort of thinking back to the Jets and Jamal Adams situation and all the drama that stewed out of that. Uh, it just because the Texans say they won't trade him definitely doesn't mean that they won't. Yeah, it definitely doesn't close the book. But I think they're being honest with their intentions. Because mm-hmm. uh, obviously it doesn't get much better than Deshaun Watson right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you're, you're going to do what you can to hang on to him in the mm-hmm. long run. For sure. Yeah, so I think that kind of wraps up that conversation. Uh, Getting into the main focus with the NFL awards being announced Saturday night, I think. Yeah, yeah, usually I'm always confused about how this works. Yeah, because I'm I'm always like excited to watch the show and you know take it all in in real time, and then I remember last minute that they release all the winners beforehand anyways <laughs> yeah. so watching the show literally has no value yeah why do they do that i don't know i don't know if they're scared something's gonna go wrong or someone's gonna like make a political statement that they can't filter out live <laughs> or something something crazy like that i don't know but yeah as a fan i think it's really annoying because yeah like i want to well i'd rather have the anticipation of finding out who wins the awards in that award show setting rather than, Oh, I got a notification from Instagram. Mm -hmm. Oh, look at that. This guy won MVP. So it's just, yeah. Takes personally out of the system. It takes the suspense out of it. Yeah, exactly. And like, but on the flip side, as a member of the Instagram community, I want to be up to date with that. So I don't want to like, black all that out just to find out later. Yeah, you know? yeah, I hear you. So, you know, in the end of the day, it's the NFL losing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so first things first, let's take it from the top with the most valuable player. Looking at our notes, we agree on this one with Aaron Rodgers. Do you want to explain that pick a little bit? Well, just, I feel like it's it's pretty simple. You know, he led the league in Touchdown percentage, completion percentage, Q, 
QB rating, touchdown passes, quarterback the number one offense in the league, and went 13-3. and three. I feel like even though um, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Derrick Henry all had phenomenal seasons, even historic in their own rights, I just feel like Rodgers is pretty clearly the MVP. Yeah, I agree. And, like, he only really had one or two off game. I mean, the only real off game I can think of off the top of my head is the Bucks game. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, like, obviously, Allen had a few bad games over the season. Mahomes started out pretty slow, uh, while Rodgers, yeah, was pretty consistent all the way throughout. Led the league in touchdown percentage, but also only through five interceptions. That was, I believe, the lowest interception percentage of qualifying quarterbacks. Um, yeah, like a 48 to five touchdown interception ratio is insane. Mm-hmm. And Rodgers just seems to do it all the time somehow. Yeah, he, he's the greatest quarterback ever at avoiding interceptions. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, TD. Best touchdown to interception ratio ever kind of just proves that. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, obviously, yeah, like you said, number one offense, number one seed in the NFC. I don't think there's much else to talk about there. Um, mm-hmm. Like we said, runner runners up, I think is the way you'd say that. Josh Allen, Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes, Derrick Henry had a case. Uh, remember – early in the season, like the first four weeks when it looked like Russell Wilson had this on lock and then fell off the face of the earth. Yeah. Let Russ cook. (laughs) Yeah. That became a meme more so. And second year in a row where this has kind of happened, where he started off a blaze and then, you know, the Seattle offense kind of got figured out, you know, their defense got better, but, they sort of had a weird end of the season, which led to a pretty disappointing playoff loss. Yeah, for sure. Um, one last thing I wanted to note about Rogers is remember last season where he had like a bit of a letdown year and you're we like, Oh, like, is he, is this kind of the end? Uh, and then mm-hmm. he just comes out and has this incredible season. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. I thought like, yeah, Aaron Rodgers could play till you know, like the age Brady's at now, and still be an excellent quarterback. But I thought the prime Rodgers, you know, insane throws, insane production. I thought that was gone, but then he decided to uh, spite the Packers after they drafted Jordan Love by winning them games. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, uh, sorry, Aaron, for doubting you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not that he's going to hear this, but yeah, altogether incredible season. And um, we'll have to see what his future holds. I expect him to be in Green Bay at least next season. Mm-hmm. From there, who's to say? Um, but yeah, I think that's pretty much all there is to say about MVP this year. Mm-hmm. So moving on to Defense Player of the Year. This is another one that we both agreed on. We both had TJ Watt. Um, for for me, it's pretty. I I look at defensive player, defense player of the year, and offense player of the year, uh, and even rookie of the year as well, uh, is kind of being more numbers based than MVP. Where with your MVP, 
obviously impact is super important, but for defense player of the year and those kinds of awards, I definitely think it's more production based. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would agree. I mean, I feel like um, offensive player of the year, I know we're not on that yet can be pretty disrespected in the sense of like Michael Thomas went off last year and an off season. And I mean, of course, he found himself, but yeah, just, um, just noting, I was just noting that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and maybe I'll comment more on that in a second, but like when we get to the offense player mm-hmm. here, but yeah, looking at Watts production this year, uh, specifically comparing him to Aaron Donald, which is the other big, um, that's pretty much the debate for the award right now. Um, mm-hmm. Watt had 15 sacks to Donald's 13 and a half, 61 pressures to 45, according to uh, pro football reference, and then 23 tackles for loss compared to 14. So obviously he wins all three of those matchups um, by a lot in terms of pressures and tackles for loss. And obviously you can look at the, um, different positions and uh yeah the impacts they have on their teams but personally i don't think that needs to sway the decision um when watt clearly mm-hmm. outproduced him and it's not like donald's really suffered from lack of production before um yeah yeah i i agree i mean yeah, you can look at it because an outside linebacker versus an interior defensive lineman. But when comparing TJ Watt to other edge rushers like himself, Watt clearly outplays all of them or outproduces all of them on the stat sheet. And I would even argue that some, you know, interior guys played to a similar level as to Aaron Donald, even though Aaron Donald is the best defensive player in the league. Yeah. And um, even though I believe firmly believe that T.J. Watt had a better season, I don't think he's a better player than Aaron Donald, and I'm sure many others would agree yeah, with that. Sure. But um, yeah, it's you know T.J. Watt even had more pass deflections. Of course, that's a bit swayed towards his position yeah. too. But um, like even the forced fumbles were down a bit for a lot. And I still, and he still had a phenomenal year leading the league in sacks in general, not even just over Aaron Donald and the high number of pressures, which I even sometimes value pressures more than sacks because you could get pressures more often. Yeah. And like a pressure for you can directly lead to a sack for someone else. Right. Or even, or like an Mm -hmm. interception or something like that. Yeah, and like sacks can be very dependent on, you know, let's say a certain blitz sends a quarterback one way and then you sack him or there's a coverage sack to where just consistently pressuring a quarterback speaks more to you you being able to win, you know, win, you know, your assignment and and get there to at least impact the throw at the very yeah, least. Sure. Uh yeah, as you said he had two force fumbles and also an interception, which obviously is a linebacker, but as a primary edge rusher, that's pretty impressive to get your hands mm-hmm. on a ball like that. Um, yeah, it was week one against Danny. Danny oh, Dimes. right, right. Yeah. Yeah, he just um, 
I think he faked the rush and just dropped back and just just caught it right. And Danny Dimes threw it right to yeah, him. Yeah, that's that uh, trademark Watt athleticism. <laughs> yeah, you know what, yeah. Uh, what JJ's been able to do quite a few times in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, last note for this for me is I found, yeah, this was a pretty interesting race throughout the season. Uh, early on, I know Miles Garrett was a really legitimate contender. Um, he was very close with Donald for a lot of the stats. But I think, yeah, towards the end of the year, TJ just pulled ahead. And I think it's pretty obvious to me at this point. Yeah. Yeah, Miles Garrett got COVID. So I think, at least from what I saw visually, it seemed like it hindered him a lot down the stretch of the season where TJ Watt and, and Aaron Donald were just playing at insanely unreal level. Yeah, for sure. So that's why I feel like guys – like those guys, uh, TJ Watt and Aaron Donald. Like I'm not gonna be mad if Donald wins, but I, I really do feel like TJ Watt should win. And you could really argue we should have won last year as well. There is a case for it for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I would even argue that TJ Watt played had a better production last year, especially in the forced fumbles department, where he had like I don't know, I think he had like maybe around like six forced fumbles. There's a crazy number of forced fumbles. Yeah, I don't remember the exact numbers, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so moving on to Offensive Player of the Year. Um, you brought up last year's race, uh, especially between Christian McCaffrey, who had 1,000 rushing yards, 1,000 receiving yards, and then Michael Thomas, who broke the receptions record. Um, just my quick thought on that. I think, personally, I would have given it to McCaffrey if it were up to me, obviously it's not, but I definitely see mm-hmm. the case for Thomas uh, breaking the record and then also leading the league in receiving yards by all by over 300 yards, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, altogether a very dominant season. Um, and another thing I pointed out after that season uh, is a lot of the talk was, oh, of course he broke the receptions record. He was force-fed. He had all these targets. But if you look at the actual numbers, which people are scared of sometimes, um, <laughs> Tom, I don't remember the count, but Thomas's targets that season didn't even crack the top 10 for a single season. Hmm. And just to note, he was really, in that offense, the only real receiving threat. For sure. Or re- really threatening. And to break the receptions record, and then, like you said, lead the league in yards. That is insanely impressive, although I agree that I I think that CMC should have won it over him because CMC playing 99% of snaps and being really elite in all areas of being a running back, I would probably think that that merits the award more than Michael Thomas, but it, it's not really slighting Michael Thomas. Yeah, for sure. I think it was very close. Obviously, McCaffrey was the third player – in NFL history with a thousand rushing and a thousand receiving yards in the same season. Uh, and mm-hmm. both of the other two players being Roger Craig and uh, Marshall Falk, all both won mm-hmm. offense player of the year. So CMC was the odd man out there, yeah. but mm-hmm. yeah, back on track to this season. Um, this is another one we agree on. We both have Derek Henry for offense player of the year. Uh, do you want to kind of explain the reasoning here? 
Well, I was just thinking, like, um, you noted the centerpiece of the Titans offense, and I totally agree when you think about it. They're one of the best offenses in the NFL, and a lot of it's – or most of it kind of just comes from his impact because, you know, when you fake the ball to Derrick Henry, the entire defense is going to converge, and then that's when you see these insane A.J. Brown and Corey Davis plays, and then that factors into how efficient Ryan Tannehill is. So just – impact I know this might be more of like an MVP thing when looking at his impact but I feel like he has an MVP caliber impact on that offense and to, to counter that out he also had 2,000 yards you know also ran for 2,000 yards which is obviously yeah no big, no big deal there right? <laughs> yeah yeah and you know to think in the modern passing era you would think that you wouldn't see you know, I, I definitely didn't foresee many 2,000-yard rushers, you know, in the impending future. And to see, this was pretty cool in an offense that can throw at a high level. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, later in the season, I saw, I think it was like a bold predictions thing where it was like, uh, Derrick Henry will get the yardage he needs to hit 2,000. And I was like, I wonder how close he is. So I looked it up and saw it was like, 230 something in week 17 that he needed so obviously that's a lot but i was thinking i was like it's against the texans um yeah so it's got a decent chance um so i stuck my neck out made a post about it and it all worked out so um he also you know almost won me my uh fantasy championship so oh yeah oh yeah i forgot i forgot about i forget about that <laughs> yeah um for those of you who don't know i eliminated ryan here who was the number one seed in the league right was i i, I think i think i was i think you were i like slipped into the playoffs and knocked you out first round yeah, yeah, I remember that with um, with Tannehill had the four touchdowns, right? Yeah, something like that. Uh, then I did I have Hurts as well that week? Yeah, Hurts. Yeah, I think Hurts too. I think Hurts had like four touchdowns as well. Yeah, yeah, your team had. I remember looking at it. I was like, oh my god, your team had an insane week. Yeah, it's okay. It all came crashing down in the championship. So, um. But yeah, obviously, Henry had a really good season. One thing that stands out to me is what he did in the big games when it really mattered. Uh, you look at like their matchup with the Ravens uh, when he had 133 yards, but most importantly, the long overtime touchdown run. Um, <laughs> second meeting, the L. Go ahead. Literally handed him the L. Yeah, yeah. When you look at this course. Um, mm mm-hmm. The second matchup with the Colts, obviously the Titans lost the first one, but this one, they came out big. He had 178 yards in, what was it, like a 49 to 20-something victory? It was crazy. Uh, And then, like Mm -hmm. we mentioned, um, 250 yards in the Week 17 win to clinch the division, correct? I believe so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was close, but obviously, yeah, Henry's play down the stretch definitely helped seal it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, altogether, great season. Two thousand rushing yards. What was it like seventeen rushing touchdowns, something like that? Uh, yeah, led the league in rushing yards, touchdowns, carries, and yards after contact. I believe. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure like his yards after contact still would have been like third or fourth. It's over a thousand. Yeah, it's he is he is over a thousand yards after contact. I think it's a thousand fifty seven, if I'm not mistaken. I remember see I remember seeing the stat. Yeah, something like that. I remember, yeah, because not a lot of people hit a thousand yards this season. So the fact that he <laughs> did all after contact is incredible. Yeah, and if I could only poke one hole in that case, it would be that his yards from scrimmage probably aren't that high because of his low receiving value. But I don't know how much people would take that into account. I'm just bringing that up if somebody would, you know, try to bring up somebody else like a Travis Kelsey for offensive player of the year. Maybe that could come into play. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, if you're going to make that comparison, I'd say Kelsey, first of all, might, well, he's probably the Chiefs' number one target, but barely. <laughs> Because obviously, yeah. you don't want to forget about Tiger Kill. And mm-hmm. uh, obviously, Patrick Mahomes is like the focal point of that team. Whereas, in this case, if Derrick Henry isn't going, the Titans probably aren't winning. Yeah, and we saw that against the Ravens. Yeah, in for the playoffs. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just in that regard, yeah, I think Henry definitely has the bigger impact. Um this is kind of a side note, but I personally don't like when the guy who wins MVP also wins Offensive Player of the Year. I think it's kind of taking the award away from someone else who could have deserved it just as much. Yeah, because one of the reasons why I'm not the biggest fan of the subjective awards is like these weird unspoken rules where like the MVP is a quarterback and the Offensive Player of the Year typically is a skill position player when like I wish that the MVP could legit could legitimately be a skill position player like, yeah. that's something I feel and like, I think we could still like there's nothing really stopping it um it's just kind of obviously there's going to be a great quarterback every year um mm-hmm. and just with the way the league is going I think it's yeah it's definitely going to be tough down the stretch for non-quarterbacks especially like defensive players to win the award yeah that's why i I made a post a while back not to deter us too much but um about i think that they should implement the most outstanding player so the criteria is not as confusing and it could go to legitimately anyone it could go to tj watt it could go to derrick henry it could go to travis kelsey or it could go to aaron Rodgers. I just think that would be a bit better to where it's a competition with the best players rather than just the best narrative or the best quarterback. Yeah, for sure. Um, Since you mentioned it, did you know that the, um, the CFL's MVP award is called the most outstanding player? Oh, really? I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. And there's been, um, there's been a lot more position diversity uh, kind of because of it. Uh, look, yeah. Like looking at the most recent when obviously the majority still quarterbacks, but 2019, it was a wide receiver. 2014, it was a linebacker. 2013 was a running back. 2012 mm-hmm. was a wide receiver, kick returner. So yeah, there's a lot more, um, a lot more diversity there, which I think is interesting. Since yeah, you, like, since you mentioned it. 
Yeah, that's cool. And I, I really think the NFL should take a look at that philosophy because you, know, you can look back at some seasons, like one that comes to mind for me would be 2017, where I think that if like the most outstanding player was implemented, I think that would have gone to Antonio Brown rather than Tom Brady. When you look at you know how historic Antonio Brown was, where he didn't even play the last, I don't know if it was the last couple of games or the last game, and he still led the league in receptions and yards, I believe, despite Which not season playing. Was that again, sorry? 2017. Okay, yeah. And I just think that's you know that's a year that comes to mind to me. You know, maybe more so as a Steelers fan that like where I really felt like he would be the quote unquote most outstanding player over Brady just because Brady had the best quarterback season. Yeah, it's only a fair point. Um, that was, I think Todd Gurley had a really strong case that year too, didn't he? Probably. I think it was, was it McVay's first year? Yeah, McVay's yes. first year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Not to take us off track too much. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and since I have the CFL most outstanding player information right in front of me, I just wanted to draw everybody's attention real quick to the fact that Doug Flutie uh, won the award four consecutive years from 1991 to 1994, and then again in 96 and 97. So, six out of eight years. That's interesting. Yeah, I thought that was kind of crazy. Um, Obviously, he wasn't as successful in the NFL, but Mm -hmm. still an interesting story. Cool thing I want to take note of quick before we move on to the Offensive Rookie of the Year. This is the first one that we are disagreeing on. So it should be pretty interesting. (laughs) I'm going to go first. My pick is Justin Herbert. And I don't think there's that much of a debate. Obviously we'll get into that, but you look at, like we said, it's a quarterback's league. That's the, if there's any question, that's the direction it's going to go. Justin Herbert came out to the second most passing yards by a rookie in NFL history. With in only 15 starts, so he didn't start week one, but still threw for 4,000 yards. I believe he was also the second rookie to throw for 4,000 yards in their in their first season. Obviously, um, broke the rookie passing touchdown record. Was the first with 30 in a season. Well, in their rookie season, um, only threw 10 interceptions. Fifth lowest rookie interception percentage, uh, and the fourth best passer rating by a rookie. Minimum 200 attempts. Might have been the best rookie quarterback season of all time. And yeah, I think that's that just gives him the advantage, uh, just a positional value. And yeah, all those records that he set or at least came close to in only 15 games. And all those things that you said certainly apply, but I roll with Justin Jefferson on the in the on the opposing viewpoint just because I feel like that Justin Jefferson this season was a better wide receiver than Justin Herbert was a quarterback and when looking at it that the mere fact that Justin Jefferson was top 5 in receiving yards while being 19th in targets was an all-pro and broke 
the receiving yards record, the rookie receiving yards record that stood for 18 years that was you know set in 2003 by Anquan Bolden. While Justin Herbert broke a touchdown to the passing touchdowns record that was set um, two seasons ago by Baker Mayfield. And at least from my perspective, that I would argue in terms of pure tape and production that you could argue that Justin Jefferson is already a top six receiver in the NFL when because he literally has everything. He has speed, he has great route running, he has hands, and he has the ability to just completely beat a defense deep like we saw this season in Minnesota who doesn't even throw, uh, which is an offense that doesn't even throw the ball that much, feeding Dalvin Cook, who is another guy you can argue for offensive player of the year if if it wasn't for some of his injuries in this time. Yeah, for sure. Um, here are my knocks on Jefferson. Obviously, I don't want to take too much away from him because obviously he had an incredible rookie season. Um, I just personally don't buy into it as much. Uh, first of all, I think he definitely benefited from uh, limited tape early in the season. I was, like his biggest game of the year was his first start uh, where he had seven catches for 175 yards. Um, after that, he only topped a hundred, one, two, three, four, five, six more times, which isn't bad, mm-hmm. obviously, but yeah, like I said, that was his highest yardage total. Um, another factor if you're a defensive coordinator going up against the Vikings, you look at Dalvin Cook, you look at Adam Thielen and Jefferson. What, what are your priorities there? Obviously, you probably want to shut down Cook first. Um, and at least earlier in the season, I'd expect, per, honestly, I didn't watch a ton of Vikings games this year, but. I would expect defenses to still consider Adam Thielen to be the number one receiver, which means he'd probably get the better coverage. Am I right? Yeah, it's kind of like the Juju AB thing from a couple years back. Yeah, for sure. And that, yeah, that's definitely something I go to a lot. Not only like with this comparison, but you look at last year uh, when Chris Godwin broke out uh, playing opposite of Mike Evans. It's like, mm-hmm. Obviously, they're good, and they're taking advantage of their opportunities, but how are they getting those opportunities, you know? You make a fair point, but on the flip side to Jefferson, you know, not playing as much early on, the fact that he was still able to break the receiving yards record not while not playing what was the first couple of games is still very He impressive. played but didn't start. So he had 26 yards week one, 44 week two. Oh, so limited snaps. Yeah. Well, so limited snaps going and breaking this record was very impressive. And you do make a point with how defenses would game plan for the Vikings. And although it's hard to argue that, I still feel like Jefferson's pure production speaks for itself. And I think obviously this is an extremely tight race and one of the most interesting, you know, two-man races that you could really find. Because I would argue they both have the greatest rookie seasons at their positions. And 
like I said, like, like I said with Defensive Player of the Year, I wouldn't be mad if Justin Herbert wins. In fact, he most likely is because there's typically a quarterback bias with these awards. But I just feel like that Justin Jefferson should because I feel like while maybe Justin Herbert is on the brink of being like a top 10 quarterback, I would argue that Justin Jefferson's already a top six to top seven receiver. That's really my thinking of it in terms of this. Yeah, I personally is too soon to say. Uh, rookie receivers are really hard to grade just because there's so many different factors. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like offense, other um, other receiving options, quarterback play, uh, just stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, I personally think it's too hard to say where he would rank right now. Um, but obviously, I think he's a good player. I think he has a bright future. I just think Herbert has the slight advantage when it comes to offensive rookie of the year. Yeah, yeah. He, the, I was more so picking on what I think or what I would what I would choose. Where if I was picking on what I think the voters will select, they would probably select Justin Herbert. Just like I said again, the quarterback bias. But if just picking upon what I really think they should pick, I would go with Justin Jefferson. But that's kind of just me. But I understand looking at Herbert and his insane production and how incredible he was in such a weird situation in, uh, on the Chargers. Yeah, for sure. I think it'll be interesting to see. Um, obviously, yeah, both have very strong cases. I just expect to go Herbert. But, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll have to see. Um, moving on from that, looking at Defensive Rookie of the Year, Let's talk about here. We agree on Chase Young. Personally, statistically, I find his season was a little underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it still stands out compared to the rest of the rookie class. Yeah, I agree. And um, looking at Chase Young, I know this is more so production-based, but in terms of his leadership and how him, him and uh, Ron Rivera were able to turn around a very uh, flimsy culture in Washington and – yeah, they won the worst division in football, but to still be able to get to the playoffs and compete with the Buccaneers team that's somehow in the Super Bowl right now, it's it's very, very impressive what they were able to do this season with the with the quarterback carousel and all the things going on with Snyder and and the controversy in the front office to just hone in and be able to to win the division and get to the playoffs and compete with the Buccaneers is very impressive. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Like you said, they won a weak division, but that also means they won a very competitive division Mm -hmm. um, because everybody had a chance late in the season. Literally last week, everybody had a chance to win. Besides besides the Eagles, Um, but the, the... I think so, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, he led all rookies in sacks and tackles for loss. Uh, He also had four forced fumbles and three fumble recoveries, which were both more than TJ Watt, Hmm. for what that's worth. Yeah. Uh, And he also had a touchdown, which is cool for a rookie defensive end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, looking at the guys that, you know, that were also up there in Jeremy Chin and Patrick Queen, I would like to note Patrick Queen and how much of a steal he was for Baltimore when thinking about the draft, picking him in a later first round and turning out to be, you know, as as good as he is, 
it's it's pretty impressive. Baltimore had a great draft last year. Yeah, they usually do. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, like you said, Shin and Queen both had very good seasons. Uh, very complete statistical seasons, mm-hmm. uh, both showing up and you know, lots of tackles. I think they both had a pick or two. Uh, both got some sacks, stuff like that. Obviously, even though Chin's technically a safety, they both play very similarly. Um, but yeah, I think Chase Young just has a bit of an advantage there, uh, and maybe it's maybe it's part hype, maybe not. <laughs> but like you said, he did lead rookies in sacks, uh, and you know was a major part in their playoff run. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think it. I, I'm pretty sure he's going to end up winning. I don't think there's that much to talk about there, but you know that there there was a lot of interesting rookies who who had some uh, really good seasons. Had a really good season. Yeah, it was a very strong defensive rookie class. <laughs> uh, you look at even like mentioned, Young, Chin, Queen, but also uh, Isaiah Simmons didn't get a lot of playing time this year, but had some really nice moments when he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you remember like the. Madden like interception on Russell Wilson that one game. Oh yeah, in that in that overtime game, right? Yeah, where he was like barely even looking and just kind of like phased under the ball and brought it in. Yeah, I I, I hate the super linebacker interceptions. At least that's what I call them. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, he he obviously showed a lot of potential. A lot of the rookie corners uh struggled kind of early but definitely came into it down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, altogether, I think it was a very good defensive class. And, yeah, very bright future there. Totally agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, moving on to the comeback player of the year. Normally, this award isn't too interesting, mm-hmm. but I at least found earlier in the season there was quite a debate because, um, obviously, Ben Roethlisberger – missed the majority of last season with an elbow mm-hmm. injury came back and early in the season he was playing like an MVP candidate right? yeah totally and to kind of further this on it was a pretty interesting debate because it was more so challenging what the award itself was directed towards was it you know the player who came back from a big injury and has the best production or is it the player who came who comes back from the most horrific injury and so it was interesting when looking at Ben and Alex Smith. And even when Ben was playing really well, I still thought Alex Smith should win it just simply because of what he had, though the road that he had to go down in order to come back to the NFL. But I, you know, when looking at how horrific that injury was, however, I don't think, I feel like Ben gets slighted a bit when looking at the fact that he had to have major surgery on his elbow and throw 40 times a game at you know certain points later in the season because of how bad their run game was. I feel like people didn't note that a lot when discussing him and you know they they you know both quarterbacks had really good seasons and even though I think Alex Smith you know should end up winning it and probably will end up winning it. I just, I feel like people should note you know what Ben had to go through to come back as well. Yeah, for sure. It definitely wasn't easy coming back from that elbow injury, uh, especially, yeah, given obviously the position and his age. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of people 
literally when Alex Smith took the field that were like, yes, now it is his award 100%. It doesn't matter what he does. Literally just by being back in the mm-hmm. game, he deserves it. I wasn't part of that crowd uh, because, like I said, at that point, Ben Roethlisberger was playing phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, at that point, I didn't think it was fair to take that away from Roethlisberger. Mm-hmm. But later down the stretch, Smith was playing consistent and Big Ben started to fall mm-hmm. off. I think, yeah, the the value of Smith's injury uh, definitely kind of deserved um, more recognition at that point. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And um, Ben's fall off was not entirely on him when looking at their horrible run game and play calling. But there's definitely when the production wasn't there, it's kind of hard to argue that he should win the award when Alex Smith came back from something that's like, like potentially a, a injury that could have amputated his leg to be back on an NFL field was incredible in itself. So when the production wasn't there, it's, it's really hard to say that Ben was going to win. Yeah, for sure. I think obviously it's an incredible story. Uh, what do you think about kind of the community idea that they should rename the award after Smith? When thinking about it, I mean, I think that Alex Smith is such a respected figure around the league, looking at how he helped to mentor Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes' rookie season, and that after the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, they wanted to send him a ring because of the work and the help that he gave his teammates there. And I think that speaks to how much he's, like I said before, respected. And seeing as what he had to go through to come back from this injury, I really think he embodies what this award should be directed towards and who it should be given to. And I do, I do think it should be named the Alex Smith comeback player of the year. Yeah. Little correct. I personally, yeah, I like the idea of naming it after him. Alex Smith comeback player of the year award sounds too long. Yeah, Um, it kind of does, but. um... So if you just called it the Alex Smith award, I'd be down for that. Um, but yeah, I don't like the long name. I think it's a little, it's a mouthful. <laughs> I but agree. yeah, either way, I definitely agree with the sentiment. Uh, I don't think anybody in the history of the award has had to come back from something mm-hmm. this big. Uh, so yeah, I definitely think it's a neat idea. Whether or not the NFL will take interest in it, I am not sure. But yeah, I think there's definitely potential for it, and it could mm-hmm. be really neat. Yeah. Okay, next up, we have the Coach of the Year Award. Why don't you go first on um, this one? We, we disagreed on this one, like the Offensive Rookie of the Year. And I'm not as adamant on this one, but I rolled with Sean McDermott, mainly due to how much the Bills developed Josh Allen this year. And he went from a inaccurate quarterback with an arm that could throw at 80 yards and a brain that tried to lateral the ball in a playoff game, so or lateral, lateral the ball in the open field in a playoff game, if, if you remember that play. and this- I remember <laughs> it very well, and if it would have worked, he would have been a <laughs> genius, but it didn't. And it wasn't even entirely his fault because Dawson Knox was not ready for it. But the weirdest thing, sorry, uh, I remember this very vividly, the weirdest thing about watching that play 
was when he was spinning around and I saw it in his eyes when he saw Knox standing there, I was like, it would be cool if he pitched it back to him. And then he did. And I was like, do I have mind <laughs> control powers? <laughs> like, that's That was dangerous. But um, yeah, I think it was one of those things where if it would have worked, it would have been like an all-time great play. But it didn't, so it looked like an idiot. That's that's a fair point, but uh, you know, to, to keep going with what I was saying, um, they went from this you know inaccurate quarterback to you know a top three MVP candidate, and one over the course of one off season, uh, McDermott and that coaching staff helping to fix his mechanics, and we saw it and how productive their offense was and how good they were down the stretch of the season. They played. You know, looking at this as a regular season award, they they were playing their absolute. They were playing the best football of any team down the stretch of the year. You know, winning what their last six games. And their so, only yeah. loss coming in that span to the Chiefs on the Hale Murray. So, um, looking at how how well they were playing. Cardinals. Yeah, yeah, it's the Cardinals. Yeah, the, Car- the Hale Murray. Why? <laughs> what did I say? You oh, my bad. If it, I was really confused. Yeah, also yeah, Hale Murray to the Cardinals, they would lose to the Chiefs later on. But then um, even looking at this in general, then they would go on, you know, win a tight game against a really good Colts team, you know, beat a really good Ravens team in a sort of, you know, defensive-oriented game, and then lose to the Chiefs. You know, just looking at the Bills' overall body of work this season, I really think that Dermott deserves it. Although I think that Stefanski will probably get it because, um, I, I just think because of the Cleveland turnaround and a lot of people kind of get behind that. Obviously, I, I think that Stefanski will end up being voted Coach of the Year. But if I was choosing, I would go with McDermott. Yeah, and that's the case I want to make here. Uh, obviously, what McDermott and the Bills accomplished this year was great, but historically, the award has kind of favored uh, teams or coaches that made a big turnaround <laughs> with their team. Uh, and Stefanski brought the um, brought the Browns from a sub five hundred team to eleven and five winning a playoff game. Granted, a lot of other coaches probably could have done the same thing when looking at having a top 10 line, the best running back tandem in the league. You know, Landry, I know Beckham got hurt. And um, turning around Baker, and which I think more so turning around Baker was probably Stefanski's biggest accomplishment. But he kind of just did what he did in Minnesota, in Cleveland. So, um, not to take away too much from what he did, but I feel like there's so much talent there. Oh yeah, I'm even forgetting about Austin Hooper too. That there's just so much talent there, especially on offense for Cleveland, that it's not that impressive. Like, it speaks to how bad Freddie Kitchens was that they were even a sub 500 team. That's fair. That I feel like. Yes, what he did was was pretty impressive, but I don't think it's like turning around the old like Owen sixteen one and fifteen Browns into a playoff team. It's turning a team that should have been in the playoffs last year into the team 
you know, the team that they should have been last year is a team they were this year necessarily. That's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, but he still has a huge part to play in that because just I, I saw this coming before the season, uh, looking at kind of what his offense looked like in Minnesota, seeing how that would uh, play out with the Browns, uh, with their mm-hmm. commitment to the run game, taking the ball out of Baker's hands more uh, and instead giving them more of those efficient mm-hmm. passing opportunities. Um so yeah, obviously, yeah. Like, I I wouldn't take anything away from him here. Um, yeah, a huge challenge, not just um, improving on their record from last year, but this is a team that hasn't made the playoffs since what two thousand. Oh yes, I believe so. So yeah, you're not just improving on last year; you're turning around almost two decades of poor performance um so yeah i think that's that's the biggest factor for me uh is just what he had to overcome and how well mm-hmm. he did it uh looking at even like yeah like they won a playoff game without him being in the stadium uh which obviously you can look at that and say well they didn't need him but i think just the fact that he was their coach uh and what he meant to that team meant the world yeah that's that's a fair point but i would also say standing for with sean mcdermott and the bills and the bills you know even though they made the playoffs more so in recent years their past you know after you know the four straight super bowl runs you know has been very flimsy as well and even though they still have this incredibly pat you know both teams have incredibly passionate fan bases but they're both sort of in similar situations when you think about it Yeah, I can kind of agree with you there. Um, kind of the point I wanted to make to argue against uh, McDermott for Coach of the Year, which, like I said, I'm a big fan of his, but what you really highlighted was the offensive turnaround. Um, so looking, if we were to make a, a, an assistant Coach of the Year award, I would definitely give that to uh, Brian Dable, the Bills offense coordinator, um, it was like I said, I don't know if I actually mentioned this uh, while we were recording, but uh, sorry, I'm getting good. a little foggy. The uh, McDermott was is a defensive minor coach, and the highlight of that team this year was their offense, while the defense kind of let them down. Um, so yeah, looking at what Dable did, he served as the offense coordinator for all three years of Allen's career. Um, so I think he had more to do with that development than McDermott did. Like you said, the Bills had a top, I believe they were top two offense this mm-hmm. year. Were they? I don't, yeah, I don't remember the numbers exactly, but they were very good, obviously. Um, yeah, like you said, Allen was an MVP candidate. And I think one of the big things I wanted to highlight here was that Dable's back next year. Obviously, he was a pretty, um, pretty attractive head coaching candidate. Uh, nobody took him. One thing I like about him is his pedigree. He came up under uh, Bill Belichick's staff in New England for a while. He also served under Nick Saban in yeah. 
Alabama. Uh, so he's been a part of a lot of successful organizations, uh, which I think is definitely something to note looking at coaches is like, what have they, mm-hmm. what have they been through? Um, so I'm assuming working with uh, obviously Belichick's arguably probably the greatest coach, uh, NFL coach of all time. And you can make the case for Nick Saban mm-hmm. in college football. Um, being able to work with those two guys, I think kind of says a lot about mm-hmm. him. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see what this, what him being back means for the Bills offense next season, if they can even improve upon what they did. Yeah, that's, year. that's, that's a very good take. And um, I just took, when I thought about it very briefly for the assistant coach of the year, I went with Joe Brady, uh, the Panthers offensive coordinator, simply because, um, you know, he was play calling a very dynamic offense and had to coach them through many injuries like CMC, you know, being hurt most of the year after dominating their snap count last season, 99% of snaps, and to adapt to that. And with Mike Davis playing so well in his position, um, Teddy Bridgewater getting hurt and playing uh, XFL MVP, P.J. Walker in his place, and, and still being able to find ways yeah. to score some points. Um, I was just impressed by the Panthers' you know, offensive performances this year, even though obviously they were not a playoff team. But um when you when you were talking about Dabble, you were looking at um next season and looking at next season for the Panthers, I'd be really excited if they were able to pick up um like Justin Fields in the draft and add him with, you know, all those receivers and his play calling. I think that'd be a really fun offense to watch. And they were fun, you know, with Teddy who's obviously a pretty solid quarterback, but he's not anything really above average necessarily. So I'd be really, I'm really excited to see what they'll do going forward with whoever is their next quarterback. Yeah, for sure. I think, like you said, they're a very exciting offense this year. Uh, A lot of nice weapons and yeah, we've talked about. Yeah, I I think very briefly and, and, um, I obviously, I think he's a decent game manager and a pretty average starter. Yeah. There's nothing really wrong with him. I just don't think that he pushes the ball down, you know, push the ball down the field at a high enough level to be like a high end starter. And when I'm, when I evaluate quarterbacks, at least where my favorite trait is, are they able to push the ball down the field and, you know, obviously put points on the board, which is the name of the game offensively. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, like like you said, let me know what they were able to do this year with Bridgewater, who's a little limited. I mean, he's a solid starter, like you said, but not top tier by any means. Uh, let me know what they could do there, potentially adding a quarterback this offseason uh, in the draft. A lot of potential. They have a, what they I believe so. Pick. Yeah, something like that. Um so, yeah, there's a lot of potential there. And, yeah, I like how they look going forward, especially if they can hold on to Brady for mm-hmm. a few more years. Obviously, he got some head coaching talk uh, this offseason. Um, so that'll be something to monitor going forward for them. But, yeah, I, I think you definitely have a point there. Uh, 
obviously coming up from the college ranks and having running a very solid offense like that, like you said, overcoming those injuries. Um, yeah, yeah, so there's a lot about what he was able to do. One thing to note is I was originally going to go with Eric Bieniemy, and obviously he's extremely respected around the NFL for what he's able to do in Kansas City. And I absolutely love how Kansas City, you know, how even though they have so much talent, the way they scheme and game plan is just immaculate. You know, it seems like every single week they're drawing up something new in the red zone. However, I don't know how much of that is Bieniemy or how much of that is Andy Reid. So that's why exactly. I'm hesitant to give him, like, give him, you know, this distinction. However, you know, I, I mean, to, to hear so much respect towards him, he, he has to obviously, obviously be doing a lot. But it is sort of weird that, you know, with how highly touted he is, that he didn't get a head coaching job. And maybe other teams think that, you know, maybe maybe Andy Reid's running the show, and that he's not necessarily like capable of being a head coach, or maybe Kansas City's play calling success is more so in Andy Reid. So that's why I sort of backed off of picking him and went with Joe Brady. But um, I just wanted to note that because um, I've only really heard good things about the enemy, but I just have that little like suspicion, just knowing. Um, Andy Reid, how um, good of a play caller Andy Reid is. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a fair point. I definitely agree with you there on, um, yeah, like I'm a little wary about coordinators who don't actually run <laughs> their side of the ball. Because um, obviously, like, no matter how good of an offensive coach Beganami is, Everyone knows yes. that's Reed's offense. So, and I'm sure Reed would have rubbed off on him a little bit, um, but we don't really know what that looks like uh, if he was given the full offense yeah, and, um, and wor- workload. I think it would be interesting to see if he ever like stayed in Kansas City, let's say three more seasons, and then Andy Reed retired and he took over the Chiefs coaching you know, the greatest talent that we've ever seen at quarterback for several more years. That would be very interesting not to take us too much away from the task at hand, but that kind of interests me. Yeah, for sure. I don't know how likely that is uh, looking at, um, yeah, like how much head coaching talk you got this off season. I'm sure mm-hmm. that'll only intensify, especially as the Chiefs keep winning, and obviously they're in the Super Bowl this Sunday. But um, you know, they seem like they're going to be constants in that position for years to come. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, sorry, I'm feeling a little rambly, so I, <laughs> I think that's a good sign that we should stop pretty soon here. Um, you mentioned the Super Bowl is coming up this weekend. Our next show coming out, I'm thinking Saturday, uh, will be our Super Bowl preview, looking at all the different matchups there, everything to look forward to. Uh, and, mm-hmm. of course, our predictions. Um, so, yeah, that's coming up down the line. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I think I'm all talked out. Um <laughs> Yeah, so it should be interesting to see how 
these awards play out this weekend. Um, if you want, hit us up on Instagram. Let us know what you think. I completely forgot to mention I changed my username. I'm sure a lot of you noticed that by now. It's now goat underscore FB. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. Ryan here runs Greatness Debates. Uh, so, yeah, if you have any comments, feedback, whatever, feel free to hit us up. Uh, we'd love to hear back from you guys. So, yeah, I think that wraps up this show. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to tune in next yeah. week. Or not, not yeah, next thank you week, all for episode. listening. It's really appreciated. And uh, hope you enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Thank all you. All right. Take care, everyone.